episode of the See You Next Tuesday podcast and the stars of our show today are myself, Jesse, and Amanda, and our guest. We don't have one. No, we don't have a guest. I don't know. I just, I don't know why I just did that intro. I think I always wanted to do that, actually, now having done it. Well, and, you know, I played right along with it, so. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yes-anded very well there. Good job. You didn't even know you were about to be in a skit. You nailed it. Improv class. Oh, man. Is there anything as insufferable as improv? I really don't know because I've never acted a day in my life at anything. Really? That's a lie. Eight hours a day, I act happy (laughs) and that I like everyone. (laughs) Sounds like you have something to say about work. Nope. Sure about that? Oh, this is where you want me to tell your work story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I always, it sounds weird, but I, you text me, oh, work sucks, this happened, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing I think about is, I can't wait to hear about it on the podcast. Um, I don't know. I mean, I really don't, I, I don't have anything. Like, I had the even thing last week. Good Lord, the even thing. That was just, um... And I really, like, everything is just so normal for me that. (laughs) Clearly, we're very, clearly very normal, well-adjusted people. No, I mean, like, the shit that happens at work, it's just, like, normal. Like, that you're, like, you, you now you can't even distinguish between, like, a baseline and, like, craziness. Yeah, crazy is the baseline. Right, because it's just all the time now. Yes, exactly. You're, you're living your dream, sounds like. Yes, <laughs> completely. Oh, you forgot to remind me about Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Okay, do you know what Steve Martin... Um. Shoot. Steve Martin... Selena Gomez. Oh, and I think I know where you're going with this. Um, God. Martin Short. Yes, all have in common. That show. Yes, only murderers in the building. Okay, okay. I'm glad you said this because I threw this in my queue a minute ago when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I, I wanted. <sighs> have you started watching? It? I watched the entire fucking thing. I binged it. I loved it. It is so funny and so cute. Whoever thought to put those three together is a fucking genius. Okay. Oh my God. You just made my day. Because that's what I was wondering. I was like, you know, because like I I love a good, funny, crimey show. And I was like, oh, don't be, don't be overly cheesy. Over it is, oh my God. It is cheesy, but cute and funny. Okay. First of all, fun fact. I love Selena Gomez. Yeah. She's so cute. I love her. So much. She's in my list of celebrity best friends that don't know they're my best friends. <laughs> Love it. And to put her with Martin Short and Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. Those two are. are I mean, me. I would never in my wildest dreams do that. Right. But oh my God, it is genius. And then is the story really good? And like, yes. Okay. I mean, yes, it is so. Good. I, oh God, I loved it. Okay, so highly recommend 
And it's on Hulu, right? Yes, it is on Hulu. Um, I am so glad that I got the free trial and forgot to cancel it. And my husband was like, fine, just keep it. That's that's a little tip out there for all of y'all that are trying to get something pushed through. That's how you do it. You they can't kinda... say no to the free trial. Right. And then whoops, after you're billed the first time, you go, oh, my God, I totally oh, forgot what? to cancel that. Was that what's and then they go, oh, it's only seven bucks a month. Fine. And then that's how you get Disney+. Plus. And oh, how's the HBO going? Did you get it? Oh, no. Damn. Yeah. You need... Oh, you want to talk about true crime documentaries? Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah. But seriously. Okay, so watch it is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm saying watch it. I mean, okay. I don't know if you know what the premise is. Here's the best part. It, the premise is true crime podcast. No. What? True crime podcast. Okay. They're, what brings them together is a true crime podcast. Oh. And then they start trying to solve a crime and create their own true crime podcast. Shut the fuck up. Okay, that sounds amazing. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to watch this. I mean, yes. It oh is Oh my god. Oh you know what? I actually could go back and rewatch it. Really? I may do that today. Okay, okay. If I gotta do not- my I got to do my nails. I haven't done them in a hot second, so I may do my nails and at the same time watch re-watch. that. Right. Because I'm not gonna lie. I'm ahead on my homework. I've already done my next episodes. Oh, oh whoa. Humble brag. I mean, I feel a little is that directed at me? Is that directed at me? Huh? No. I'm wow. just saying I have time to do my nails because I'm caught up on my homework with my next episodes. And all of my Patreon homework. Uh. I'm just waiting for the trial to start. Yes, because she's a bad bitch. Did I mention something? We have a Patreon. We have a Patreon. We have special edition episodes going on right now. Our our new series, if you will, is The Duggars. And we're starting top down, bottom up, essentially. <laughs> you did mom and dad. And we've got oh, a yes. couple more coming in December. We drop them every month on the first of the month. And just the all... That month's topic. Right. So it could be one or two Duggars. It could be multiple ones. It could be one person we're covering. And, of course, it's all leading up to the trial of one Joshua Duggar. Yes. And I'm not going to tell you what he did. We, if You you should know what he did. If, if you, you know, don't yeah. know what he did, you will find out in our last episode because I will cover what he did, when he did it. Why he's on trial, the whole trial, yeah, and the outcome of the trial. None of that, none of the trials happened yet. It's scheduled to start November thirtieth, as long as they don't delay it again. Right, and then yeah, it's just, and then you're gonna be like Girl Friday over here, court TV, or watching the news and taking notes, and that just might be when I get fired. <laughs> Amanda, could you please turn down? I've already been the getting... news. So, Amanda, if y'all follow our Twitter page, you can see that um, I am tweeting a lot, replying to other people's Twitters, things I see on Twitter, engaging with other indie podcasts, um, retweeting our indie podcast friends a lot throughout the day. 
I very frequently get the side eye from one of my three bosses. So the Josh Duggar trial and me keeping up with it might just be when I get fired. Well, you know, it's for the greater good. So okay. please go and subscribe. <laughs> we have stickers because um, because wants to be out of a job. Um, I might need something to supplement my unemployment. Hey, OF still exists. Hey, you could, and it's still it's still around, and it's still uh, very lucrative, shall we say? I mean, nobody wants to see it. Girl. I got three kids. Exactly. That's why nobody wants to see all this. <laughs> oh my god. Speaking of, my pod daughter is about to sign a lease on her first apartment for next year. How do you feel about that? I cried last Aww. night. Just a little bit. Because she's just so like we were texting about it last night. And she was so excited. She was like, I think I'm going to go ahead and sign this lease because I, when I walked in, this place just felt like home. And none of the other places I toured felt like home. And she's like, it's in my budget and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're so responsible for 18. I was not. Oh, God. That's like years of... Uh... God, and more advanced than I was at that age too. Like I was spending money as soon as I got it. Like I would get my paycheck and I go like to Forever 21 immediately. I didn't even have a job at 18. I was in college. I got a monthly allowance from my parents, which FYI was very substantial. And I didn't need that much money because I lived in a dorm. I was on the meal plan. I did not need the amount of money I was getting. And... Needless to say, I spent one semester in college because I left with a 1.14 GPA. Hmm. Yeah, she's like dual major and a minor and has two jobs on campus. Girl. And then she's over here being responsible as shit. Yes. On the side. Like, who is this person? I don't know. (laughs) I think she was the one that was switched in the hospital. You think she's like a pod person? (laughs) No, I really think that her real parents are like doctors and lawyers and responsible <laughs> and shit. That were like 42 years old, not like 22 or however the old, fuck old I was when I had her. You clearly had your life all together at 22, like all of us were. No, I sure as <laughs> fuck didn't. I, had, I hadn't been twins. No, how old was I? Let me do some math, y'all. Oh, shit. Well, if there's 19 on your driver's license, then... You you know, most people know how old they were when they had their children, but I really don't. Well, because you're 29. Yes, I was 29 and my kids are 18. I was older than 22. Okay. Okay, y'all, let's just do this. It's episode 25. Sure. 27? Whatever. You get it. 27, yes. I'm 27. (laughs) we've danced around this shit long enough i am 42 so i was 24 when i had my children okay so at 24 years old i did not need to be having infant twins what the hell was i thinking you're 24 
That's what you were thinking. I was an adult and I was responsible, damn it. Super responsible. I know exactly what I'm doing with my life. Okay, mom. I mean, and then, you know, uh, I'll also disclose I'm 35. And yeah, we have the same mother, essentially. Super negating, but really hard because, like, we were both taken care of as children. We never wanted for food or no. clothing or no. shelter. We no. We spoiled, both of us, in that yes. way. And so, I was spoiled rotten. Yep. But emotionally and mental, mentally abused, both of us. I did not. The only way I know how to deal with any situation at all, at all, is either sarcasm or anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that is, anger was the only emotion in my household growing up. So it was really difficult. Yeah. I dealt with it in therapy some. But see, that's it. (laughs) And yeah, mine was, I would overachieve and do whatever I had to do to be the best child ever. So I wouldn't get in trouble and then they would be happy. Yeah. And it's like... Both trauma, but different responses, and then now trying to deconstruct all that, right? So, yeah. 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 I mean, I still, like, just now at 42 years old, started putting my foot down and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Like, I've done things that I have never done in my life. I have said, this is what you did. This is how it made me feel. And... Even though I got the response I knew I was going to get, I did not get upset and I did not get angry. I said, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. Which is huge instead of having to go deep into it. But so for, for a child like the pod daughter to come out super like responsible yeah. and put together <laughs> and has a savings account and a checking account and all this stuff. You're like, yeah. how the fuck? <laughs> and she she bought a car and makes I mean, their car payment on time. Like, right. But you know what it is? It's be- it just shows you that trauma doesn't have to be well, passed down. You know, I made a conscious decision. I said, exactly. I will not raise my kids like I was raised. And so there have been times where I've consciously taken a step back and said, how would Sybil have done this? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it that way. Right, exactly. (laughs) Or how do I, not even that, just how do I think this should be handled? Like, I, I don't immediately react. I just take a step back and I process it for a hot second. And that's what makes the difference right there. And it's tough because, I mean, there's, I'm sure, many times when it was like, I'm pissed or something's going on and it's like, boom, nobody's perfect. But the fact that you're still making the conscious decision to go, I'm not going to continue to reverberate this trauma like a shockwave through the generations because I don't want my children to hurt like I hurt to this day, right? And you're just setting her up and, you know, if she gets married or has children, whatever, to then pass down better things to hers. Yeah, I it's just, great. You gotta end. You gotta end it. The buck stops here. You know what I mean? Yeah. You I mean, I just, you know, that's why I'm like, these are not my kids. Even my <laughs> son, like, <laughs> yeah, my son. I don't know. I think he's got more money than I do. I just want to hit him up for a loan. I mean, like, hey, son. Um. Hey, I heard you got some a savings account, and uh, I heard how much money you got. Can I like? 
Like a loan, like what kind of interest rate are we talking about? I'll let you, I mean, like we can talk about it at Thanksgiving. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We'll talk about it later. But you know, we should probably talk about it. Yeah, and even my youngest son, even my 13-year-old, it's like, you know, if he wants something, if I'm like, hey, you got money, why don't you like take care of that yourself? He's like, oh, you ain't gonna buy it for me? No, I'm good. Yeah, no. That's a you problem. That's a you. You want that? You have money? Okay, that's a you problem. Okay, goodbye. I mean, and he's resorted to, like, um, trading chores for money. I mean, for things. Not money. Sorry. For things. He's like, so I want this new video game or whatever. And he's like, so how many weeks of dishes would that be? Oh, my God. That's great. But that's kind of perfect. So you're like, hmm. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, that's going to be three weeks of emptying the dishwasher and wiping down the counters. And he's like, how about wiping down the counters and sweeping? And I'm like, no. Because <laughs> they're not, they're totally different things, sir. No, but that's, it's great because it's, it's hard. Kids are hard. I don't have kids and I just see your, you and my other parent friends and I'm just like, oh my God. So did a good thing. But I mean, you know, parenting is hard and everybody parents differently. And I know that I've done things with my kids that other parents are like judging my judgster for. And mm. so I try not to do it, but I do find myself doing it. I'm like, because I hate to be judged. I don't want you to judge me, especially when it comes to my kids. Oh, for sure. And my parenting, because then I'm like, look at my kids. My kids are great. Mm-hmm. But yet, I do it too. I'm like, really? You don't have to be like that hard on him. Like, yeah. If the kid hears the word shit, he's not gonna like be a serial killer. It's fine. Yeah, seriously. Plus, like, you gotta prepare him for the real world where nobody's gonna like, oh, little baby ears, you know, like earmuffs, bud. You know what I mean? It's just life is really brutal and can be really tough and you have to prepare for that we've never been and everybody gets a trophy family oh yeah no that's for sure your, your christmas board games right fist fights we've I'm discussed kidding, I'm kidding. that i'm not allowed to play yes. yes yes you uh, you cannot so play that not everyone gets a trophy <laughs> not everyone well speaking of no trophies um do you want to get into our mom today? Yeah. <laughs> I am like chomping at the bit for this one because I've heard about her on another podcast and I was fascinated then. And then when I started doing more research into her, I was like, this is fucking crazy. So get ready. It's twisty and turny and there's a lot here. There's a lot here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do Amy Bishop. Have you heard of her? It's ransom bells, but tell me. Okay. Tell me. So Amy Bishop was born April 14th, 1965 and grew up in Massachusetts. She went to Braintree High School and got her undergrad at Northeastern University of Boston. Her dad was a professor there in the art department. So pretty normal waspy shit. (laughs) I'm like... Okay. Yeah, it's like, it's the waspy shit. You know, you go yeah. here to high school, then you go to Northwest, and, you know, like that Harvard, you know, that whole crowd up there. Um, we're from Texas. Not nobody down here is elitist except for Dallas. <laughs> no, we have listeners in Dallas. We Dallas. love Dallas, but y'all know. Yeah, don't lie, don't lie to me. So 
And on December 6, 1986, at the age of 21, Amy shot and killed her 18-year-old brother. End of the episode. What'd you think? Well, I think you're going to tell me more because if that's the end of the episode... Um, money, money back? <laughs> yes, I'd like a refund, please. So let me get into the story. So December 6, 1986, both her and her brother Seth were students at Northwestern University. And the day of December 6, he was outside washing his car. Amy and her dad had got into an argument that morning, so she went upstairs to her room to load her father's shotgun. Why, you ask? I mean, that's normal in Texas. But, yeah, but exactly. Like, Massachusetts, like, brain tree area. Hold on. Now. Hold on. Massachusettsans? Uh-huh. Bostonians? Uh-huh. Y'all got rural areas. Y'all hunt, right? I mean, I, yeah, I think so. Do y'all have deer? Or do you hunt, like... Oh, I'm going to sound real stupid. Y'all probably have deer, and I was not going to finish that sentence. Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they have deer. They probably, have to have deer. They Probably different kinds than we do. Yeah. I was going to say moose. They, mm, I mean, because it's close to Canada. Oh, my God. We do sound so dumb We right sound now. so dumb. Woo! Okay, anyway... So why did she, why was there a gun in the house to begin with? And why is she like, hey. They're hunters. There was a break-in at their house before. And she said she wanted to know how it worked. Like the gun, how the gun worked. But that would be like why she had it. Right. And then why they got it was her dad bought the gun a year before when he and his set, his son, Seth, joined the Braintree Rifle Club. Oh, so there's no deer. Not really, yeah. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Texas, rifle club. <laughs> I know we hear rifle. We're like, there's deer, right? <laughs> you go hunting, right? Yeah, exactly. The gun was unloaded in a case and the shells were in a bureau. And before this, Amy had never fired a gun. But yet her instant response to, I had a fight with my dad, was I'm going to go upstairs and load my father's gun. She fired two shots from the 12-gauge shotgun, one into her bedroom wall where she put a Band-Aid over the hole, like like a Band-Aid, like legitimately a Band-Aid. Not metaphorically. No. And she then went downstairs to the kitchen where Seth was now inside talking with his mom. And this is what her mom said. Quote, I was at the kitchen sink and Seth was standing by the stove. Um, Amy said, I have a shell on the gun and I don't know how to unload it. I told Amy not to point the gun at anybody. Amy turned toward her brother and the gun fired, hitting him. Amy then ran out of the house with the shotgun. Mom said the shooting was accidental. This went into the left part of his chest, opening his aorta, and that's, he bled out, essentially. Oh, yes. Poor, poor kid. So, does everybody know what a shotgun shell is? And uh, why it's so detrimental to be shot, especially in the chest with a shotgun shell? I don't think so. Do Did you, wanna... you do that research? Well, I know the basics of why because the buckshot essentially like tears through and makes lots and lots and lots of jagged cuts in your body and you just there's just too many of them for them to patch up it's not a clean cut so shotgun shells there's different projectiles um and so they um 
called they're like pellets, and then when mm-hmm. you shoot it, it and it hits, it, it breaks apart. Right. So if he was shot in the chest, it's not just one bullet going in, which might not do that much damage. There's a whole bunch of projectiles mm-hmm. that break apart when they hit you. So instead of just maybe going in and hitting like one vein, right, which it is- broke apart and then probably hit multiple veins and vessels in his mm-hmm. heart, making him bleed out faster. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, Amy ran outside right after this happened. That's what her mom said. She ran to a local auto shop in order to steal a car, pointed the shotgun at workers there, and basically tried to Grand Theft Auto and get inside one of these cars, right? One of the workers there said, she said, put your hands up. I put my hands up and repeated the question. She was distraught. She was hyper aware of everything that was going on. She said, I need a car. I just got into a fight with my husband. He's looking for me. He's going to kill me. That's what she said to this guy. This girl is like 20, 21, you know? When the police showed up, she was crouching behind the car, a a car there. And they said, um, I drew my service revolver and yelled her three times to drop the rifle, Officer Timothy Murphy said. After a third time, she did. Cops found a live round in the chamber and one in her pocket, meaning she reloaded the shotgun before shooting her brother. So the original shot that she shot into her bedroom, well, probably an accident. Like, oh shit. And then after that, she put another shell in, then went to the kitchen, then accidentally shot her brother. And she had another one ready to go in her pocket. Okay. So little, what they're trying to establish is intent. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, I'm just like, what do you think of that? I think she probably meant to kill more than just her brother. Mm -hmm. So the cops did an investigation and so did the state police. And in 1987 came to the conclusion that the shooting was accidental. The district attorney, Democrat Bill Delahunt, did not file charges and was later elected as a U.S. House representative. The officers that arrested her didn't like releasing her, but the orders came from on high. Then in 1988, the detailed records of this incident disappeared. Of course they did. Weird. So strange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rich white people. Uh All of a sudden, Uh all these things, whoops. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. After this, she eventually went on to get a PhD in genetics at Harvard and married James Anderson around this time. This came with some controversy, her PhD, not the marriage, because in 1993, when she was writing her dissertation to earn her doctorate, an anonymous source said that her research was not of great quality and she didn't deserve it, even calling it local scandal number one. Well, really wasn't the only local scandal at the time because also in 93, Paul Rosenberg, a Harvard Medical School professor, was sent two letter bombs both, unfortunately, failed to explode. Paul was her direct supervisor supervisor at a children's hospital neurobiology lab and gave her a negative evaluation, so she resigned. According to Amy's husband, James, she wanted to shoot, stab, or strangle him. So both Amy and her hubs were obviously questioned by police, but no charges were filed. Of course not. It remains unsolved to this day. Yes, I'm sure. So this is all from 1986... To 1993. Mm-hmm. Okay. How much money did her family donate to the police department? Uh, you know, that's something I couldn't... 
quite put my finger on. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. the um, prosecutor. Right, right, right. So, um, also the, during these years, she was a professor at Harvard Medical and part of research studies on the side. You know, but I, pretty common. You know, they yeah. do the whole, this, I published a paper with this group of other doctors, whatever. So, while all this is happening, her and her husband are having children. They had four, including one that was named Seth, like her late brother. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. And guilty. Mm-hmm. And in 2002, Amy had another incident with a booster seat at IHOP. Okay, but who among us? Am I wrong? It's IHOP. It, tensions are high. I want fucking pancakes and syrup, god dang it. And this little bitch is stealing my high chair. Am I wrong? I mean, first of all, you're in IHOP where all the waitresses are above 60. Oh, for sure. We just need to all calm down. No, I don't disagree. I'm just saying, I've got four screaming kids. I need the booster. You have one. Fuck off. Fuck off. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Whoever gets there first. Oh, bitch. We would have fought, you and I. We would have gone. If I'm there first, (laughs) I'm there first. (laughs) So, this incident at IHOP, the lady took the last booster seat. Mm Mm-hmm. Amy is not having it. Um, and the woman wouldn't let her have it, so she yelled, I am Dr. Amy Bishop. (laughs) Yeah, the cops got involved again, and she was finally charged and got probation. Prosecutors recommended anger management classes. Mm Mm-hmm. She probably didn't go. Oh, no. I mean, it's just... Come on. It's whatever. Don't worry about it. So, by now, there's a bit of a pattern. So, Amy doesn't get her way, gets mad, lashes out, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, this is just really the beginning of her story. This is, again, this is the beginning. And it's just, come on, guys. Amy eventually became a part of the Department of Biological Studies at the University of Alabama in Huntsville as an assistant professor in 2003. She was 38 and was teaching five courses at that time. Her husband, James, developed a portable cell incubator um, and came in third in a tech competition, winning $25,000. And I'm going to correct myself there. It was her and her husband. They both developed this, like, essentially like a little, you know, to-go container for cells. Sure, my eyes glazed over. Let's keep going. <laughs> her hub's company, Prodigy Biosystems, raised $1.25 million to develop it. And David Williams, the president of the University of Alabama... Um, thought that this would change the way biological and medical research is conducted. But some other scientist colleagues were like skeptical, saying it was like expensive and unnecessary to even develop it in the first place. Like, why do we need this? So again, it's one of those like, she's really close to success each time, but there's always like this underlying like caveat or she's, there's a cheating or there's some sort of like nefariousness going on under the surface. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's really weird. So Amy was a writer, and she started writing novels, three of which all unpublished. The two that were the most notable were one about a scientist working to end a pandemic and struggling with suicidal thoughts because she might not earn tenure, and the other about an accidental shooting death of the brother of a friend. Wow. (laughs) I'm sorry. Those sound Mm. like their um, biography. Super, like, close to real life. What? 
Yeah. She thought that like this was how she was going to get out of being a professor and even acquired a literary agent. Members of her writing club said that she would frequently cite her Harvard degree and family ties to Irving to boost her credentials as a serious writer and that she felt entitled to praise but was abrasive to be around. Um, other colleagues during this time said that she was acting weird and interrupting meetings with bizarre tangents, left field kind of stuff, being strange and crazy. Um, well, part of her book came true because in 2009 she was denied tenure at UAH, so she filed a complaint with the EEOC due to alleged sex discrimination. <sighs> Come on, girl. The professor who was on the review board who denied her tenure stuck to their guns and said, Quote, the professor was given the opportunity to back off the claim or to say it was a flippant remark, but he didn't. I said she was crazy multiple times, and I stand by that. The professor said, this woman has a pattern of erratic behavior. She did things that weren't normal. She was out of touch with reality. Bill Williams, the president of UAH, denied the renewal of her contract after this incident, and she appealed this to the administration, and her husband James said it was a long, basically hard fight and that she exceeded the qualifications for tenure. Okay. The administration's reason for not giving her tenure was that she needed to publish more papers instead of acquiring more patients. Because she was doing too much work, like, being a doctor versus, like, you're supposed to be researching more, apparently. I don't know because, you know, pff, I fucking got no doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Sure. Who? <laughs> exactly. Um, but, like, it's hard. So... Yeah, there's a lot there. So there's this whole thing that's happening with her and James first off where we'll get more into it later, but he's like kind of enamored with her, you know, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then her whole thing is just going buck wild, essentially. There is no filter. There is no limit. Just all in. Yeah. It's weird. So... To add insult to injury, she wasn't even a good professor or popular among students. She was ineffective in the classroom and had odd, unsettling ways. And dozens of students signed a petition complaining about her, but nothing was done. Again, here's how erratic she was getting, because in 2009, she published a paper with her husband and three of her children as co-authors. What? Yeah, even I know that's, like, not what you do for PhD papers. No. Like... Excuse me? No. Uh-uh. And straight up, like, submitted it that way. No. Something's wrong. Yes. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting to the day. February 12th, 2010. So on this day, Amy taught her anatomy and neuroscience classes, and a student recalls that she seemed normal during lectures. At 3 p.m., she and 13 other biology professors and staff members went to a windowless conference room on the third floor of the Shelby Center for Science and Technology, to have their faculty meeting. So normal stuff, normal meeting. Um, Gopi Podia, the department chair, handed out the agenda for the meeting, and Amy sat beside him near the door. Normally she participated in these meetings, but she was a bit more, like, subdued than usual. I mean, and part of this could be because, first of all, she was just denied tenure, and then her contract wasn't renewed, and this whole meeting was about planning the next semester, which she wasn't even going to be a part of. So there's also this question of, like, why the hell are you even at this meeting if you're not going to be, you know, helping us plan next... You're not going to be here next right, semester. Right, right. 
Did they want her there or did she just show up? It kind of had a vibe of like, well, she's here. We're not going to not do the meeting. Right. From what I understand of this. So, I mean, of course, I wasn't in the room or anything, but it kind of feels like... You weren't there? <laughs> I know. So, um, Deborah Moriarty uh, was biochemist and not the supervillain from Sherlock because it sounded cool, um, was there in the room and knew about Amy's issues with her tenure because they were friends since 2003. So she was like her work friend, you know? Yeah. Um, even though they were friends, Deborah actually voted against her getting tenure, you know, because she was like, look, that's... I mean, there's one thing of being friends and then there's another of knowing that she doesn't deserve it. Right. Say, look, you haven't met the requirements at this time, right? So Amy told her that her life was over, quote, but Deb assumed that she was being, you know, dramatic and that she would find another job. I mean, it, who doesn't say that? My life is over. Everybody over-exaggerates sometimes. Yes. You know, like it's, yes. you know, I can think anything of it. For 40 minutes, this whole meeting went on, Amy said nothing. And then right around the time the meeting uh, was ending, just before 4 p.m., she pulled out a 9mm Ruger, semi-automatic gun, and shot Gopi Padilla in the head. A witness stated that they saw that she, quote, got up suddenly, took out a gun, started shooting at each one of us. She um, started with one closest to her and went down the row shooting her targets in the head. Ugh. Another one said this wasn't a random shooting around the room. This was execution style. She then shot Stephanie um, Monasticlio. I'm so sorry for butchering your name. An assistant and then Adriel Johnson, a cell biologist. As people freaked out and were trying to get out, remember, no windows, and this is on the third floor, Amy was blocking the exit door. She then shot Maria Ragland and Deborah, her friend from uh, the department, registered, finally registered what the hell was going on because Deborah was like, you know, in shock, essentially. People that were shot on one side of the table, all the others ducked to the other side to like try to get underneath it. And then after ducking under the table, I'm going to have to pause. <laughs> Deborah put her arms around um, Amy's legs and pleaded with her, Amy, don't do this. Think of my daughter. Think of my grandson. I'm sorry. It's really sad. This is when Amy trained the gun on her and heard it click, only to find out that the gun was either had no more ammo or got jammed. Deborah said that Amy looked angry and then perplexed. Sorry. So Deborah is obviously our hero in this situation. And here's how. So she helped push survivors past her, past Amy. Like they like bum rushed Amy at the door and they got out of the room by crawling past her during this. And um, like when she was trying to like figure out what was going on with the gun, Amy followed Deborah, continuing to squeeze the trigger. Like Jesus lady. Deborah then went back to the room and they were just in and back into the conference room with her dead colleagues and her and another person barred the door. The whole thing lasted less than one minute and three people lost their lives and three were injured. Um, Maria Lag Maraglin Davis died. Ariel D. Johnson Sr. died. Um, Gopi Padilla died. And then the three survivors with injuries were Luis Rogelio Cruz Vera, Joseph G. Leahy, and Stephanie Monticlio. Um, survived, which, oh, I mean, if she was like right next to Gopi, you know what I yeah. mean? So, <clears throat> excuse me, after this, Amy went downstairs to the ladies' room, rinsed off the gun, put this and her bloody blazer in the trash can there, 
walked to a lab and asked a student if she could borrow their phone to call her husband, James. She frequently called him and that to, you know, say, hey, I'm done with classes or whatever. And on this day she did, she called him and said, I'm done. He's thinking this is like the normal thing where she does. And so he was like gonna go pick her up. The cops had already been alerted and arrested her at a loading dock in the back of the university. She was trying to get out through the back. So I, this part's a little hazy because I'm like, well, why are cops there so quickly? Well, I know there's campus police. Right. Obviously. So, I, I mean, it's loud. Even if a conference room door is closed, so I'm thinking their emergency system must have alerted. Or somebody must have heard it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, gunshots are really loud. <laughs> oh. Really loud. So, I'm sure somebody heard what was going on. Like... After one, you're like, I, what, what, what is that? Like, if you were to hear it and not expect it, you'd be like, what is that? And then after, you know, several, you're going to be like, oh, hold up. Yeah. 911. <clears throat> exactly. Well, and like at this time, this is 2010. And I hate to say this, but school shootings are, were fucking known. Kids are, were trained. And I hate to say that, but it's true. And so by this time... You already are hyper aware of, I know what that noise is. I know what I need to do. I know who I need to call. I know who I, you know, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what they thought at first was that was what was going on. It was a kid was shooting somebody. Um, So that's also when the news started showing up. So it was very much kind of one of those experiences where both of these things are happening at the same time. Um, And they started to report shit like, the professor had no criminal history and was mentally uh, stable, you know, because you would assume a professor at a pretty prominent university would be, but clearly that was not the case. But nobody knew that she wasn't because everything had been hidden since she was exactly. a kid. Had they done something back then, hell, even just like ticker to therapy, maybe just an imbalance in her brain. Not even like did she was like necessarily evil or something you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. it it could be anything so yeah it's um and so obviously the cops start searching the building and found the gun quickly i mean because she didn't really fucking hide it you know like it's in a trash can in the women's restroom um and when she was arrested she said it didn't happen there's no way and then when asked about the death her deaths she said there's no way they're still alive like there's no way Period. They're still alive. Oh, I thought Sorry. you meant. No, no, no. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's how I read it because that's how what if she really meant. But Amy said, there's no way. They're still alive. Like, like I can't believe it. They're dead. What? Yeah. She, the instant I'm an insane person defense, right? So cops interviewed her husband to see if he had anything to do with it because, I mean, yeah. And they didn't charge him. I mean, guys... Not too quick on the uptake. Um, He said that she borrowed the gun and that there had been a shooting. They had been at a shooting range weeks before. I'm sorry, what? If you're borrowing guns and going to shooting ranges, that's red flags. Who who, who in the what now? I know. When I heard that, I was like, James, Jim, Jimmy, can I call you Jim? Hun, sweet, sweetness. What the fuck did you just say to me? Are you, are you insane? Oh, get this. So let's get a little bit more about James and their relationship. So after she was arrested, she would call him asking to see other children more, of course. At the time, their kids were between the ages of 7 and 18. Wow. And he said that they wouldn't understand 
So all but the youngest were told about her arrest. Okay. He then told ABC News that she never had mental health problems and that she didn't need anger management classes. I'm sorry, did he live in their house? Mm. It was just a normal battle for tenure. You know, that whole normal battle for tenure. And that she was very driven and that you have to be at Harvard in her PhD program because, you know, it's hard. you got to be a fucking go-getter and a, you know, eye of the tiger and... Okay. uh, Yeah. Yeah. They would go to church on Sundays and he was in the P- she was in the PTA and loved her children. He said, she proved you could be a wife, mother, and researcher that you don't have to give up on the other two. Mm-hmm. Sure. James said that this arrest had tested his faith to the limit and just the whole, why did this happen? How did it happen? And then how do I get up the next day and take care of the kids? He said he is holding on to his faith. So he is... Like, from all of these interviews and everything that I read, he's just so, like, can't see the forest for the trees. You're like, yo, come on, man. I don't think he's that dumb. Like, if he's a PhD, like, can he be that dumb? Yeah, because you can be emotionally intelligent or emotionally dumb, and he's, you know, kind of emotionally stunted. Okay. But you can be, like, super book smart and, like, really intelligent this way and just not have much common sense. Okay. Because, like, listen to this. Um, He was enamored with her, of course. He thought that she was amazing because he didn't date much in high school, but he never met too many smart girls out there. Uh, Fuck you, James. So you were, like, holding out for a smart girl and you didn't really meet any? (laughs) Fuck you. He said, I always wanted to have somebody to talk to, to talk with, explore things. So he and Amy met at a sci-fi convention, and they hit it off right away. Sci-fi convention. See, that's why That's why you couldn't find a girl. There it is. There's so many, but this is the thing. There's, ugh, just the, ugh, anyway, he just infuriates me. He infuriates me. Like, how are you real? Anyway, so back to 2010. I didn't want to get too much in the trial because it was just, just awful. After her trial, she was sentenced in 2012 life in prison without parole, and um, she pled to avoid the death penalty. Yeah. Finally, somebody who gets it. Yeah, she fucking pled. She was like, okay. Because that's what they said. It was like, look, tell us everything. Cool, we'll move it down to life. Otherwise, death's on the table. I'm sorry. Like, Finally. Yeah. Somebody who gets it. They yeah. offer you the plea, you take it. 100%. Um, she did try to do the whole guilty by reason of insanity, but they were like... We're going to need the regular guilty, honey. Like, you're just going to go here because we know you knew what you were doing. You're not an idiot. Um, So what about her brother's case now, right? Because nothing happened back in 1986. So it's not double jeopardy. It's not. So she was arrested. After she was arrested, they decided to take another look at her brother's case. And the fact that some of the facts weren't even given to the state cops at that time. And shock among shocks, they all of a sudden found her files that were missing before 1988. Yes. Yep. Double life. Double life. They found that there was a probable cause to arrest her in 86 for assault with a dangerous weapon, carrying that weapon, and unlawful possession of ammunition. The statute of limitation was out for these offenses, including, unfortunately, possible manslaughter of her brother. Boo. I know. March 2010, the lead investigator back in 86, that he still thought it was an accident, but a judge ordered an inquest in April 2010, that year. And then in June, 
Amy was finally charged with first-degree murder for the death of her brother, Seth. Yay! Bitch. 100%. The DA said, I can't give you any explanations. I can't give you excuses because there are none. Jobs weren't done. Responsibilities weren't met. And justice wasn't served. Her parents said, we cannot explain or even understand what happened in Alabama. However, we know that what that would happen 23 years ago to our son, Seth, was an accident. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So heartbreaking. They just can't. They just can't. Well, I mean, you don't want to believe it. No, God, no. Who would? No. But, you know, no, no. sometimes you just got to go, okay. So Amy claimed in February 2013 that she was not being, that she was being treated for paranoid schizophrenia and taking Helperidol. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were, or maybe that's what they were telling her they were giving her, <laughs> you know? I don't know. Um, so the most believe that she's, I mean, in her right mind, especially whenever she did yeah. what she did. She, uh, familiar with appeals, obviously, tried uh, again for her conviction in 2013. They denied appeal again. Um, and as of 2020, she's in a security classification medium in a dorm-type facility. Uh, yeah, it looks like she's going to die there. Oh, yeah. Yay. So I would not want to live in that dorm, but anywho. Yeah, no shit. Unfortunately, this insane story doesn't even end here because in April of this year, Amy's son Seth was shot and killed in Huntsville by Vincent Harmon, age 18. Seth was still living at home, got his GED, and was um, an accomplished violinist. Chef... Seth knew his shooter, and there weren't really there weren't that many details. Like they didn't get get into the why or the what the hell happened. So that irony is so weird, isn't it? It's really strange because it's the son Seth that's named after the brother Seth. Yeah, and and they kind of put these photos of them up, and they kind of look similar. It's even weirder. Like out of all her children, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. It's weird. It almost feels like a curse, doesn't it? It feels yes. like something's wrong with that family. Yes. Yeah. It's awful. I mean, and I just was like, what? Because, you know, when you're going to the Google to, like, yeah, research yeah, all yeah. the shit, that came up. I'm like, is that the same? And, yep, sure enough, in the article, it was the same son from this infamous murderous so i was like oh my god yeah, that's not right no uh-huh. there's something not okay with that somebody needs to sage the hell out they room or something uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. sage that family oh my god but that's the insane story of amy bishop okay that's some crazy shit yeah no for sure it's insane so yeah do you want to get into the star mom today all right yes i'm ready Awesome. Can't wait. Please take us away from, well, crazy Amy. Okay, so. My star mom. I don't know that I'm ready for this. <laughs> oh, you're hilarious. Okay, so she was born in Southfield, Michigan, which is a sub- suburb of Detroit on June 23rd, 1972. Who? Who was born? Selma Blair Bettner. Selma Blair? Mm-hmm. What? Okay, go. I'm excited. <laughs> so she was born to Elliot and Molly Ann Bettner. She was the youngest of four girls, and um, she attended a Jewish day school before entering Cranebrook Kingswood School. She attended both Kalamazoo College and NYU. 
But she graduated from the University of Michigan in 1995 with degrees in English and psychology. Wow. And so just one week before graduation, Selma moved to New York City at 21 years old. Oh, wow. She said um, she was basically homeless and she was living at the Salvation Army. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. So that's right. Some Salvation Armies have have the um, like the ha- like housing and stuff. Yeah, it's not like just a shelter like store. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she was unsure if she was going to pursue a career in acting or photography. Huh. And she began taking acting classes at the New York Stella Adler Conservatory and the Column Theater. Oh, wow. So when her parents divorced, when she was 23, she dropped her father's last name and when she became Giselma Blair. Okay. I was going to ask. So, because I was like, Bennett, I don't remember her. Bentner. Bentner, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. That makes sense. So in... 1990, um, Selma's childhood sweetheart that she had been in love with since she first saw him in the first grade. What? Passed away unexpectedly in his dorm room. He had epilepsy his whole life, um, but she said that she didn't know what caused his death. No, hon. I know. How sad is that? It's awful. In January 2004... She married Ahmet Zappa, which is Frank Zappa's son. Okay, yeah, yeah. But after about six months, and they got married about after six months of dating in, but in June of 2006, Selma filed for divorce. Hmm. And then in 2010, she began dating fashion designer Jason Bledick. And in July 2011, they had their son, Arthur. Oh, yeah. Arthur. Arthur. Arthur? Arthur. <laughs> I have a problem with that name. It's so cute. So her and Jason's relationship ended in 2012, um, and they have been co-parenting Arthur um, together ever since. Uh-huh. So, you know, we all know who Selma Blair is. We can yeah. name all of her movies. 100%. Oh my god, Legally Blonde. Remember when she was like a total <laughs> bitch? It's great. But I'm not going to talk about any of that. So the biggest thing, in my opinion, that's ever happened to her is that in 2018, via Instagram post, um, she announced that she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So in her post, she said, I am disabled. I fall sometimes. I drop things. My memory is foggy and my left side is asking for directions from a broken GPS. But we are doing it, and I laugh, and I don't exactly know what I will do precisely, but I will do my best. In a GMA interview, she said she actually felt a sense of relief after her diagnosis because she had been dealing with MS flare-ups since the birth of Arthur, and she didn't know what was wrong. Oh, that has to be, I mean, so difficult because you think maybe it's, I mean, after pregnancy, your hormones are screwy and you've, yeah. you've I mean right so it's understandable well, you don't know what's going on like yeah. your body's all out of whack and you so yeah it's understandable completely so you know what is multiple sclerosis people don't know what it is <laughs> so basically what it is it's an autoimmune disease in which your body's immune system mistakenly attacks 
the myelin in the central nervous system. So when this happens, it creates lesions in your brain or your spinal cord, which is basically just scar tissue mm-hmm. on your nervous system. So everyone who's diagnosed with MS is different. No two people are going to have the exact same symptoms because no one's lesions are in the exact same place, so they don't get affected the exact same way. Um, They don't know what causes MS, and research is continuing to find out the cause and hopefully a cure because there is no cure. Mm -hmm. So all her movies is not what makes her a star mom. The fact that she um, is my star mom, you know, she does have charities, she does have nonprofits that she supports. It's because she's a single mother and she has MS. Um, So over the past several years, she's been raising her son with a severe MS flare up. It affects her physically um, as well as made it hard for her to speak and she's been in extreme pain so and her ex Mm -hmm. has allowed her to be a single mom to their son he has not taken her son away from her which says a lot about him as well Mm, yeah because a lesser man would right he would say i'm sorry you can't do this alone right right instead of being like look you know i trust you and i know you would never put our son in harm's way like you know what i'm saying like come on exactly so selma's ms is so severe that she actually sought an aggressive somewhat controversial treatment of chemotherapy and stem cell so you know any everybody knows it's controversial because it involves stem cells um it is not a current, and it's not currently an approved um, therapy. Um, so it's still in trials. So not anyone can go and receive this type of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, they're waiting for a long, you know, more long-term trials to determine um, the safety and effectiveness of actually using stem stem cells to treat MS. But once the trials are complete and the results are available, it will be um, possible to determine what the optimal cells and delivery methods and um, the actual safetyness and effectiveness of using this treatment could be. Um, That's according to the National MS Society, which is a great resource to learn about the disease and everything. So, After a year, a year after the treatment, she does say that she is in remission, um, but she still has to, there's still different treatments she goes through. Mm -hmm. So um, there there are two different types of MS. Um, There's remitting relapsing MS and there's progressive MS. Someone has never said which one she has. Relapsing, remitting, remitting MS, um, you can have a flare-up at any time. You can have one every six months. You can go 10 years. You can go three years. You never know when it's going to happen. Um, progressive, you're pretty much just progressively getting worse. Mm. Um, everybody with MS, unless you 
don't choose medication, I guess, has to have some sort of medication treatment um, because the more your body attacks itself, the more lesions you're gonna have, the more scar tissue you have, the more it's gonna affect your body. Um, so Selma actually just came out with a documentary. Um, I am Selma Blair. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. Um, it is her story. She's telling her story and it's way better than me trying to tell her story. Um, and you see her with her son, you see her playing with her son, you see how a good mom she is, yeah, regardless of her having this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from her because she's my star mom, but we've kind of Mention it here and there. So I have MS. Jessie knows I've had MS. She's She was there with me in the hospital. But I don't talk about it. And if you don't have a problem with it, I'm going to tell my story because it's different from hers. Yeah. And I think people need to see that everybody's different. And... It's not just because I look fine doesn't mean I am fine. Yeah. And so when Selma was diagnosed, she said that she could tell something had been wrong since she had her son. Uh huh. And a lot of people, it takes them a long time to get diagnosed. Right. Because they have things and they don't know what's wrong. And MS can mimic so many other illnesses and diseases. I actually, um, it was just a freak situation. Um, I have been out drinking. I wasn't even really drunk. Mm -hmm. But that week leading up to it, I don't even know if you know this. Um, I had started new medication for my migraines. Mm. Actually, before that, I had had an MRI because of my migraines. My normal doctor had sent me for the MRI. He gets the report back. And in the report, it mentioned, um, I forget, something about, I remember it mentioned something about MS. So my doctor said, I want you to go see a neurologist, have them read the report, see what they say. So we go, uh, my husband goes with me because I'm, oh my, I'm freaking out, right? Of course, yeah. Because I, I don't know, really know what this is. Yeah, could, yeah, exactly. Go to the neurologist. He says to us, he reads the report. He doesn't look at the images. He doesn't request the images from the imaging center. Okay. He says... Sometimes people with migraines, this is what their MRI report shows. You're fine. I want you to go. We have this headache clinic. I want you to go there. Um, That's what you need to do for your migraines. Okay. Not a problem. That's in like 
April, May-ish. And you're thinking this is actually the best possible scenario. Great. Okay, I can yeah. deal with headaches. I'm, I'm getting my migraines taken care of. Fantastic. I go, I start seeing a specialist for my migraines. I get on medication. Actually had a couple of um, shots into the nerves. Um, tell my medication could kick in. Everything's great. Then all of a sudden in, it's August by now, I had changed my dose on my medication or something. And I had noticed that I felt like I was slurring when I talked Mm -hmm. and something else I can't remember. And so I thought it was weird and it just kind of felt like I was getting worse. So I sent um, my doctor a message on, like, the app, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I said, this is happening. Um, what should I do? Is it, I, I looked it up I, on the Googles. Hey. This can be a side effect of the medication. Is that what it is? What should I do? Um, well, I want you to cut your medication in half until Monday. See how that works. Let us know. We may just keep it at that. Okay, easy solution, right? Yeah. Not a problem. Well, um, somebody had quit at work, and they were going out for drinks, and my work never has happy hours. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have a couple of drinks. Yeah. So I had felt like I had been slurring. Mm. So I was going out to have some drinks. So... I had my husband come meet me, so he would drive me home. Yep, being responsible, all yeah. this checks out. Yeah. Right. We, I was home by 10.30. Wasn't out late. Had I had some drinks? Yeah. Had I had some shots? Yeah. I didn't think I was that drunk. My husband has to work the next morning. He says, I'm going to sleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. You can have the bed. Sleep it off. Yeah. I start vomiting. I'm dizzy. I guess to the point where I'm so dizzy, I cannot get up off the bathroom floor. Oh, God. I cannot stop vomiting. My phone is on the bed. Mm. My husband gets up and goes to work. He has no clue what's going on. Right, now. 12 hours later, mm. I was finally able to get to my phone. See, the story makes my husband sound terrible, but he really didn't know. Right, no, because he left you, you were fine. Yes. When he left, you were okay. And everything that the doctors have been saying up to that point was, this is a migraine situation. Not, and, and, you know. You know, he didn't go in the bedroom when he left for work. He didn't want to wake me up. Right, he was thinking, I'll let her just sleep in because she, you know. Because he thought I was drunk. I sure. didn't think I was, you know. Yeah. I was home by 1030. I really, honestly, I was not stumbling. I was, you know. It wasn't the type of drunk where you're like, oh shit, I'm gonna puke. Right. I feel like I'm, I know I drank too much to where yeah. I'm going to puke. Right. Got it. So finally, I'm able to make it to the bed. I had like army crawl because I'm so dizzy, I can't get up. I finally call him. I, I tell him, I go, I need you to come home. I haven't stopped throwing up. I can't get up off the floor. I'm so dizzy. And I'm like, you need to come home. You need to come home. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's thinking, oh, my God, you're just drunk. Mm-hmm. He's still thinking I'm drunk. I convince him to take me to the hospital. Good. Um, he takes me to the hospital because I tell them I'm dizzy. 
and I couldn't walk. I was so dizzy. They did a um, MRI because they're like, well, yeah, brain, something's going on. Vertigo. Sure. That's like a red flag. Right, right. So they go, well, we do see something on your imaging and we're going to have to transfer you to our other hospital Mm -hmm. in this city because we don't have any neurosurgeons on staff here. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, this, look, I'm terrified. I don't know what's going on. My husband doesn't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. And you're like, great. So I get transported by ambulance to this other hospital. I'm put in ICU. They still don't know what's going on. Oh, God. I'm getting blood taken multiple times a day. Um, They were talking about doing exploratory brain surgery. Mm. They were talking about it might be cancer. Mm. Um. It was fun because they also dropped my blood in the lab and it was in glass containers. So they had to take even more blood that day. I remember that. So um, I was getting MRIs done. FYI, if you don't think you're claustrophobic, once you get put in an MRI tube, you learn how claustrophobic you are pretty damn fast. I'm sure. I just can't imagine. Especially multiple ones Mm -hmm. a day. And then finally they did an MRI that went in deeper and that's when they realized what they were seeing on all these imaging that they couldn't figure out was um, the brain lesions that led to the MS diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so apparently what I was having was a flare up, which I didn't even know. Right. Of course not. Why would you know? (laughs) So then I got moved out of ICU and given five days of steroids and released out of the hospital with an MS diagnosis and a referral to a neurologist. <laughs> thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah. Thank you for doing business with us and goodbye now. And so they actually scheduled the appointment for me in thank God. the hospital, but the person they scheduled the appointment with was a specialist I was seeing for my migraines, but she was like a um, physician's assistant. Right. And she's like, I cannot help you with this. We're going to schedule you with this doctor. Oh, my God. She is the best. I love her so much. She deals with all my crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But even though I had been diagnosed at the hospital, she was like, no, we can't diagnose you. We have to rule out so many other things first. Lyme disease, um, all this other stuff. The blood work, the test, the it was insane. And then finally, she's like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're going to treat you with. And now we have to talk about medication. So that's just a whole nother situation in and of itself. But I had to go through more steroids before I could start my medication. I had to fight with the insurance company to even get my medication covered. Oh, God. Let me start with that. Thank God my husband's insurance is fucking phenomenal. Um, he actually works for a union, and they said, we're going to cover your medication. This is going to be your copay, which is over $1,300 a month. <laughs> but... 
here is this copayment assistance program and we pay zero dollars a month wow and the only way they were going to cover my medication is if we used the copay assistance so we didn't have to pay for it love it but now i just got an email as of january 1st they are no longer going to cover my medication what the hell so um i'm gonna have to go through getting on a new medication when i got on my medication i was so sick i was throwing up at work because the 10 days i spent in the hospital used up every single minute of my paid time off and more yeah so you had to go back to work because you couldn't afford to lose any more days not paid because of all of the medical bills. This is fucking upsetting. Well, I actually, um, our out-of-pocket is extremely low. Mm-hmm. So we hardly paid. Actually, because of my MRI oh, yeah. and everything else. Yeah. I did not pay for one penny of my hospital stay or anything that wow. had to do with my hospital stay because our out-of-pocket is so low mm-hmm. with our insurance. But the medication I got on, um, we had a fight with the insurance company to even cover it. Then it made me so sick. I had to get on it progressively to get to the right dosage, but it made me so sick and the um, Doctors were just like, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to suffer through it. Mm. That yo, I chose to, um, as a 40-year-old woman at the time, I was 40. It was This happened two years ago. Um, as an adult, because I could get no help from my doctors, <laughs> I had my husband find a hookup. And I was smoking pot every morning before I take my medication. Right. So I wouldn't throw up at work all day long. Right. And then I was doing it again before my dosage at night until I could take my medication without throwing up all day. Right. Yep. Because I was desperate and had no choice. Um, and you do what you have to do just to even like make life bearable sometimes. You know? I mean. I'm sorry. Let's be real. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I've been lucky because I don't have any physical signs. So people, like, they hear I have MS and then it flies out of their head because I don't look sick. Right. I have cognitive issues um, that I forget words a lot. And I can't think of the right word I want. Um, I have memory issues. Um, I'll have a conversation and cannot remember that I even had it. Mm-hmm. Amnesia's in my medical chart. Um, if you want to talk about a podcast from three weeks ago and something I said, I couldn't tell you what it was. Mm. I, I probably have no clue. Um, and so that's difficult, but my medication actually has made my lesion shrink, so it has gotten better. So it, you know, medication I can't take anymore because insurance it probably determined it's too expensive. Well, and that's the whole fucking problem is, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dumb. So, I mean, I mean, 
you know, and, and there are days that I do have pain. Like, um, I also have carpal tunnel in my hands and my hands hurt a lot. So, you know, Delta eight comes in handy for that. Yeah. So I, you know, I probably need to talk to my doctor because my hands weren't hurting last time I saw her, but, um, and people just really, and I found if I mention something because I don't look sick, if I mention something about it, I get the side eye, like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's frustrating because people don't realize, or, you know, some days I'm just tired and people are like, oh, I'm tired too. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Right. Um, cause fatigue is a big issue. Um, some days my whole body just hurts and it's, you know, things are just for, you know, things just can be frustrating and people don't understand when you look completely fine. It's the invisible diseases that are the most upsetting because like you said, like people are like, but you don't look sick. It's like, well, I can't like prove to you that I'm sick. I can't be like, well, let me just open up my brain real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's hard for people to grasp something, like you said, that they can't see. And it's like, but it's, I live with it day to day and I'm not making something up like this. Yeah. Why the hell would I want to? <laughs> you know, and like, there are times when, I think it even frustrates my husband as well. Um, there are times when I say, I don't feel good. And he's gotten really good about just saying, okay, do you need anything? Because someone's instant response is, well, what's wrong? I can't tell you. I just don't feel good. Right. Like, I, I don't ha- I can't tell you what's wrong. I just don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just don't feel good. Right. And the fact that he's now kind of like so empathetic, you know, like responding to you, just saying, what do you need right now? Okay, I got you. You know? Yeah. He knows it. Like, it's also just frustrating to try to try to articulate everything all the time. It's like, just help me. <laughs> yeah, because, me. you know, people and, and you can only say, I don't feel good so many times before people just roll their eyes at you or think that you're, you're lying or making it up or whatever. No, I don't feel good. Or sometimes my brain is just so tired. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard for me to even form a sentence. Right. Yeah. So how do you explain that to somebody, you know, like, and have them understand what that's like? You can't, it's, it's hard. It's very difficult. The first time I was at work and on the phone with a customer and I couldn't come up with an easy word, I was so embarrassed because I couldn't tell somebody over the phone, oh, I'm so sorry. It's my MS brain. Right. Because that's what I say to my family. Right, right. And they get it and they understand. They're like, okay, whatever, sure. And I don't want the pity. And you also don't, that's not who you you are, if that makes sense. Is it a piece of your history and part of you? Yes. But it's not Amanda, if that makes sense. You are so much more than that girl with MS. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think that it's unfair to just lump people into, oh, you know what I'm saying? But so, you know, but sometimes you, you just need people to not like when you say, I, I just don't feel good today. Mm-hmm. You don't want people like rolling their eyes at you because no. you've said it four out of the five days that week. Well, you have a chronic, and that's the thing is 
it's a chronic illness. This isn't something that, oh, I'm just going to take, you know, a 7-Up and a chicken soup, Tylenol, I'll be fine. This is like, it's a consistent thing. And, and the fact that the way you battle it is usually pretty private. Like, until you feel awful, 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 then you say something. Yeah. And that's how I, I mean, know. <laughs> you I mean, know. that's the thing. Like, and, and my husband, when I told him that I was going to do this, he was almost shocked. He was like, and I told him, like, people just don't get it. And he goes, because you don't want people to see you as weak. Mm. And if you let people see you how you feel, you're afraid people are going to see you as weak. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, it's, there are more days than not that I just suffer through it. Mm-hmm. And that's not weakness. I mean, seriously, like, you waking up knowing that it's going to happen and it happens in whatever degree and then still going forward with your day, going to work, being with your family, cooking, cleaning, you know, all the stuff that you do, podcasting is strength, you know? I mean, the amount of, like, doctor's visits, hospital visits, everything I go through a year now, it is insane, like... I will be at the ER on a Sunday and back to work on Monday morning. Yeah, that's crazy. And like the awareness I have about my body now because I don't know when my next flare-up is going to be or how it's going to present itself. Like every little thing, I'm like, oh my God, my shoulder hurts. Is that my MS? Like everything is, is that my MS? No, bitch, you just slept wrong. (laughs) Oh my God, my back hurts. Is that my MS? Is that a flare? No, bitch, you fucking sit in a chair for eight hours a day and then don't get your fat ass up off the couch after you get home. Yeah. <laughs> like, like what is the... You know, it's like this hyper-awareness. I'm of like, course. You know, and then I just went through the... <laughs> um, oh, oh, the endoscopy. The endoscopy thing. Oh. I was like, is that my MS? No, it's a whole nother issue. And you're like, great. Phenomenal. Yeah, okay, cool. Just like throw it on my tab. Put it on yeah. my tab. I'm like, they know me at this hospital. <laughs> yeah. I like walk out and they're like, you know where to go? I'm like, yeah, yeah don't worry about it. I got, I, got, I got this. I check in here and then I go there. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my laughs> got it. Thanks. God. Yeah. So, you know, and I had to, before I did this, had to come clean with all my children about the smoking the pot and taking the Delta 8. Oh, how did that go? Were they like, yeah, we know. <laughs> no. Um, so my oldest had son, he thinks pot is stupid. He's like, why would anybody ever do that? And he was just like, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what you have to do. Like, he's like, no, I totally understand why you're doing it. Yeah. And um, my daughter was like, Mom, like, I totally get it. Like, if this is, like, what you have to do, mm-hmm. then that's what you have to do. Yeah. And then the youngest, he's like, okay, are you done? Can I go back up to my video games? Stuff? Yeah. He was like, I don't know. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> pot. Okay. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't smoke the pot anymore. I was just to not throw up. Yeah. And the Delta 8, I mean, it comes from the hemp, not the plant. Yep. And it is legal 
it, and well, Texas is trying to fight it, but because they're stupid, but it's, but it's it federally legal. Federally legal. I'm not doing anything legal, and I'm 42 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Seriously, girl. <sighs> Granted, I had to be drug tested to get my job, so I feel like I'd probably get fired if they found out. Yeah, well, then you can go, well, it's the only thing that allows me to keep me from throwing up at work from my MS medication. Do we have a problem with that? Or, you know, my pain. Yeah. Like, because I don't really want to be on painkillers. Actually, THC, doctor prescribed, is legal in the state of Texas. Actually, MS right. is one of the drugs huh? that's on the list for medical marijuana in the state of Texas. There you go. I am going to talk to my neurologist when I see her in February. Good. This is my gap between now and then because I started having a whole bunch of pain in my hands. Mm-hmm. After I saw her, and while I love her and I think she is the best neurologist on the planet, we needed some time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because, yeah. So I was seeing my neurologist every three to four months for two years, and then I just now got the go-ahead to have to see her every six months instead, so I'm taking my six months. Absolutely. That's a huge accomplishment. That just shows you how far you've come from where you were. Well, it's because my medication was working. Yep. Yeah. Ugh. But, So, yeah. anyways, when I take long pauses trying to think of a word, that is why. And if I ever describe a word and you think, fucking bitch, that is a bear. <laughs> it's because I really could not think of the word bear. And also, you know what? I think we need more descriptions in our lives anyway. So, fuck off. <laughs> so, so yeah, I piggybacked onto Selma Blair and I did Selma Blair because honestly, um, I was never going to tell this story. Um, she inspired me to do so. So, um, yeah. I'm glad she did. Thank you for sharing that. It's out there now. It's out there. It's and like, if anybody <laughs> listened to this and didn't know who I was now, they know exactly who I am. And you know what? I got you. A lot of people got you. <laughs> You're going to have to help me find a job <laughs> if the wrong people hear that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's phenomenal. The, it takes a lot of courage to do what you just did. So thank you for sharing. And you never know, your story may help someone else too. Well, I just want people to understand that, you know, you see Selma Blair and you see, you know, you hear she has MS. And then if you don't know anybody else who has it, that's the picture of MS you have. So when you think of somebody who, you hear somebody who has MS, you immediately think that's what everybody is like. And everybody is completely different. Yeah. And it's not, it's also not the death sentence that it was. Because, you know, it used to be. Yeah. Um, I know that I came to terms with death pretty damn quickly. And that's when I decided I wanted to be cremated and turned into a tree. And my family was very uncomfortable because I <laughs> talked about my death a lot. <laughs> but that's good, though. It, that's healthy. Until I, you know, realized I told my husband to find a new wife <laughs> while I was in the hospital. Did he just look at you like, bitch, are you fucking kidding me right now? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. See, y'all, if I don't 
add some humorous stuff. <laughs> yeah. In the hospital, I told my husband to find a new one. You would go crazy. <laughs> er. <laughs> we both would, girl. Are you I, kidding? You guys, so if when I make inappropriate jokes, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's not, everyone is different. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have physical issues. I have even more mental problems than I had before. <laughs> I mean, I joke about it. I make jokes about it because, you know, it's uncomfortable. I tell people I have brain damage. I'm like, it's because of brain damage. And they're like, what? It makes them uncomfortable. I have find people are very uncomfortable with me talking about it. Not even when I make jokes. Oh, just talking about it? Mm-hmm. Well, because, like, everyone likes to think that the world is just, like, sunshine and roses all the time. And they hear about those stories, but it's someone else, not someone they know. So whenever someone they know has it, they're all of a sudden like, oh, you know, they don't know how to react. And vulnerability is scary. People don't like when people are vulnerable around them at all. It's very uncomfortable. But that's their problem. <laughs> Sorry if I made you uncomfortable. Mm. It's your problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, the saddest thing of it all, I can't have more than like two drinks. Oh, that is sad. Hun. Every time I've gone to the hospital uh-huh. since, it's because I had more than three. I sometimes do three, but any more than three, anytime I've gone to the hospital since, is because I've had more than three drinks and I started puking. I freaked out and then I made Dean, my husband, take me to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that is a true tragedy of, of Christmas and we must save this. So you can drink all the Christmas mold wine that you want. Sad. But he, I will admit, I have to say, he, I have a pill box now. Because I'm on a lot of pills. It's a monthly one. And he fills up at day and night. He fills up my pill box for me every day. Aww. Or every month, he fills up my pill box for me. He reminds me to take my medication. He yells at me when I forget. He, if I ask for something, if I just don't want to get off the couch and get something, he gets it for me. Girl. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm teasing. And if I, you know what? I don't take advantage of it. I know you don't. Um, Most of the time it's because, it's not because I don't want it, because I just don't feel it getting up. Right. It's like I've been at work all day and that's mentally exhausting yeah and and by no means is he is he pussy whipped at all it's he's a genuinely good guy mm-hmm. he really is and he really cares a lot about you and the family and taking care of everybody and you're lucky that you have him and vice versa i know he's like any he lesser man would not put up with it and a lot of times and you know a lot of times it's like mood swings and stuff Mm-hmm. I don't feel good, so I'm a complete fucking bitch because I don't feel good. Right. And it's the fifth day in a row, and I'm just a fucking bitch. <laughs> I don't have any other reason because, like I told him today, this morning, I go, I don't feel good. I'm grumpy. So this is how I am being. He's like, <laughs> I fucking can tell. And you're and, like, good. See, and that's the thing. He'll say things like that to me. He'll go, I can tell. He checks you yes. a little bit. Eh, like, you know, you need I, that. I know what you're doing. I'm not playing your game. Right. But then I'm like... Can you get me more wine? <laughs> He's like, yes, I'll get you more wine. And everybody needs wine served to you in bed. I mean, let's be real. He's like, have you had your medicine yet? I'm like, no, can you get me that too? 
and a side of wine so I can like wash it all down. Perfection. It weirds him out that I'll be drinking a glass of wine and then he'll be like, it's time for your medicine because he has a timer on his phone. And I'll go, okay, I need some water. And he's like, but you have something to drink. I'm like, but it's wine. I can't take my medicine with my wine. He goes, but you're going to drink it right after you swallowed the medicine with the water. Right, right. So what's the difference? I'm like, because I'm not taking it with wine. You don't feel like a, like a rock star whenever you do that? You don't feel like, you know, like, oh, so like the fucking 70s man. And then like... You know, like super badass when you swallow pills or some sort of like alcoholic drink. I, I don't do it. I refuse. I make him get me water. Oh my God. No, I do it all the time. Cause I, cause yeah, even if it's like Tylenol, I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking badass dude. It's all that with liquor. <laughs> it's so stupid. I can't do it. I can't swallow the pills with the alcohol. I'll put the alcohol down, swallow the pills with the water, pick the alcohol back up and take a drink. Well, you are a better woman than I. <laughs> I'm bougie. Bougie. <laughs> I'm over here like, yeah, you know, hard knock life on the streets, mate. What What is that accent? <laughs> what did I just do? I don't even know. Jesus. Oh, shit. We should end it. We should. Okay. I've been all vulnerable and shit. I'm real uncomfortable right now. <laughs> thank you for sharing. Seriously. And thank you all for listening. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.